Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Philip Rakowski, who's the CTO and co-founder of View Storefront. How are you, Philip? Hey, hey, it's great to be here. Uh, I'm doing good. A little bit exhausted because I just finished the marathon of uh, two conferences and one QBR all in a row, so you could imagine. But I'm here and probably alive. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you and um, yeah, appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with us. Um, so I'm excited to learn about Vue Storefront. So maybe you could give us a quick overview of what you're building. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so what we are building is, or was at the beginning, just a front-end boilerplate for e-commerce. So the problem that emerged was basically that all the e-commerce industry kind of shifted into APIs first approach. And everyone started to building great backends with great APIs. But then the question is, like, what, what with the front end? What about the front end? So everyone were doing this from scratch or try to make their own accelerators. But because of amount of integrations, amount of complexity, and because just the headless commerce space is moving so fast, it's taking a lot of time. It's extremely expensive to maintain and build it. So it's the same, you know, like with uh, regular e-commerce platforms. So what we are trying to provide is we are trying to provide this out of the box because a lot of work is repetitive uh, and a lot of work is basically cannot be done for can be done for many projects at the same time. So we are trying to provide kind of like a standard toolkit for building e-commerce frontends and that includes all the you know all the stages from the design through the development to the deployment. Got it. That makes sense. And my first question, this is maybe a silly question, but is it, is Vue, like, so the name of the company is VUE Storefront. Is that like relating to Vue.js or it's just a... Yeah, it is. It is definitely related to Vue.js. Like uh, at that time, we thought that it is extremely nice SEO friendly name. Uh, And I still think it is. It has some implications though. For example, imagine that at some point in the future, maybe you would like to also be framework agnostic. Then, then the name is not very good. Also, a lot of people actually got like kind of like a false perception that we are like an official tooling of Vue.js, even though that we are not. Uh, but you know, like we wanted to highlight that what we are building is basically made say, with Vue.js and that this is a storefront. So I think the name is at least pretty self-descriptive, right? Yeah, makes sense. And so maybe take me through the process if I'm, you know, I'm launching a new e-commerce website and I'm using one of the API first um, backend platforms for e-commerce. What is what is kind of the process start to finish of standing up my front end using Vue Storefront? It all depends, of course, on the size of your shop, uh, because headless commerce is a very broad topic. Basically, if you just have your backend platform and talk to it through an API from your front end, this is already headless. You don't need any headless CMS. You don't need need any additional services. This is already headless. But this is, uh, I would say, an easy problem to solve. The harder problem is when you are much, much, much bigger and you're having a lot of services and you headless commerce, you know, it's at the same time is great because it allows you to scale faster. It allows you to uh, be more agile. It allows you to really like this take best of breed technologies, but those technologies are usually not always connected with each other. So the biggest problem of headless commerce is basically making all of those things work together. So you are starting by, pitch, by picking your technologies, 
And there is a lot of uh, thinking at this stage as well, because you not only have to think about what is good for your business, but also take into account the alliances, the partnerships. Is it integrated with what I am using? Is it integrated with other technologies that I am using? It's a tough decision, actually. And this is something that we are helping with as well. Once you pick your technologies, then you have to configure everything properly. Uh, you have to make it work together well. And in many cases, it requires just creating some separate microservices or even an orchestration layer, like API gateway, especially when you want to send this data to the front end. So that's usually the second stage, orchestrating your data, making a single API for the front end, even though on the back end, you're probably using like 20 different technologies or even more. And once we have the data, once we have the back end solved, then you have to start working on the front end. And the front-end workflow usually looks like this. You're starting with the design system, then you're creating design out of this, then you're creating components out of this, ideally as a form of component library that you have matching the design system. And then you're taking the data from the front-end, start building this, setting up CI, CD workflows, and, and just deploy. Of course, this is a major simplification because there is a lot of small things that you have to take care of. But in general, this is how it looks like for majority of the vendors, of, of the merchants, especially these days when the knowledge about headless commerce is not that much spread. There is a lot of clients coming to us and just, you know, asking to help uh, instead of just asking us to provide the front end because it's really hard to navigate. There is a lot of buzzwords and people like sometimes really don't know what they are signing for and what are the real benefits versus what is like a marketing uh, talk. And so do you do you just help on that front end piece there or does View Storefront also get into, you mentioned you need to orchestrate, maybe create an API gateway on top of the underlying technology stack? Like, do you help with that or you're primarily helping with everything that happens on the front end? Exactly. And this is, this is, this is a great question. So View Storefront started as a front end with orchestration layer, but in reality, we, we just want to be a solution for the whole head not the front end, because if you have a headless commerce, we could call, you know, the headless parts are basically APIs and the whole head is everything that I mentioned. So there is a UI library, there is a design system, there's the front end itself, uh, there is the data layer where you have to actually orchestrate all your data sources. So the orchestration layer, uh, you have to take care of the caching, you have to take care of the CI, CD workflows. All of this we call a head. And our goal is basically to provide either a great boilerplate if something is really configurable, or if the things are so simple, you know, across different shops, you can even build a higher level tooling and abstract this. So the goal here is really just to make developers' life easier, just to allow them to focus on this, on what is most important. And the most important part is basically building the front-end experiences. Front-end experiences are really good not focusing that much on the details that are really like repetitive across different stacks uh, and across uh, different use cases. Got it. And you mentioned before that, or I guess it's kind of obvious that you rely on Vue.js currently for the front end component system and Vue layer. I'm curious, why why did you choose Vue from the onset you know, versus React or other options like um yeah, well, this is uh, a very nice question because at that time, and it was almost five years ago, if I remember right, 
choosing any front-end framework was just a huge bet. Because if you remember right, they were emerging like every other week, there was a new front-end framework. Everyone was super hyped about this. But at the same time, it was very hard to sense like what will be actually the market leader or which 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 of them will actually persist, which of them will die. And I remember at that time, we were very intensively debating if, you know, if we're going to use Vue.js or maybe Aurelia.js because the Aurelia club was pretty big uh, in our company. Luckily, we chose Vue and I'm super happy about this. And the reasons why we chose Vue was actually like, first of all, because we loved a few things about Vue. Uh, first one was that it was very, very easy to grab by inexperienced developers, and we haven't seen it with React, we haven't seen it with uh, AngularJS. Uh, so that was a huge win, because even though like you could have a lot of senior people, like the reality is that there will be a lot of junior people working with your technologies, and it has to be easy to adapt, it has to be easy to learn. At the same time, uh, in the e-commerce industry, building front-end separately from the back-ends was, let's call it an exotic thing. And a lot of developers who were actually trying to do this were back-end developers turning into full stack. So for them, it was also a new world. And having something like Vue.js, which is very opinionated and very easy to grasp, and you can really like build very good websites without even understanding how the framework works, was something really nice. Secondly, uh, Vue.js was a community-driven project. and well, for some, it could be a disadvantage, for some could be advantage, uh, but for us, it was an advantage because we ourselves wanted to run a community-led product. Uh, so if you have a community-led, community-driven product, it's a great technology to adapt because, you know, we can leverage the skills and experience of the Vue.js community because inevitably they will be blending into our community as well. So I think that was a great decision, actually, uh, but it was also a huge bet, and I'm really happy that we chose this way. I'm curious, um, one of the things I, I saw in some of your uh, documentation is that Vue Storefront is mobile first. I'm curious how you think about kind of multi-platform in general and mobile first and, um, you know, yeah, why, why go with that approach nowadays? And um, yeah, how do you kind of think about decisions around design when it comes to mobile versus web versus both? Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, like the answer to this question has, has multiple layers. So maybe let me start with actually why mobile first. So this comes purely from the statistics and this comes purely from how we observe that users are browsing the web. But it's also coming from something we called mobile gap. So I don't remember the exact statist statistics, so I will not bring them right now. But in general, mobile gaps, mobile gap uh, is all about the gap between browsing things uh, on the e-commerce shop and buying them. So what users do is they're usually browsing, browsing things uh, on their mobile phones and then buying them on desktop. Why? Because the experience is just terrible. It's very hard to buy something to get through checkout uh, on, the, uh, on the mobile device. At the same time, we see that majority of them is still using the mobile phones for browsing. So the conclusion is pretty obvious. They prefer mobile phones but they're not getting the experience that they are expecting. So our goal was to fix that. Our goal was uh, to provide something that is giving them a good experience, not only in terms of performance, but also in terms of UX. This is actually why we, we created Storefront UI. So that's that's like the foundation of why we are, we are thinking mobile first. At the same time, uh, 
I think it's just hard to make mobile-first websites because we used to, we are used to the fact that internet bandwidth is raising. We are used to the fact that the computing power is raising. So people were not taking performance uh, into account for a very long time. After the launch of Lighthouse, uh, I think in 2018 or 2017, I don't really remember the exact date, it started to become a thing. Uh, it started to become important. But honestly, like it doesn't translate into a real-world result. So if you take a look at the HTTP archive, uh, if I remember right, the average size of uh, a website these days is 2 megabytes which 25% of this or around 25% is JavaScript. So our goal is to ship something that is a great foundation for this mobile first uh, application that is also showing some good practices that is also show, that is also giving you a UI elements that are allowing you to just build friendly websites. Uh, yeah, I would say it's this. One thing I'm curious about is, uh, Mock, so that Mock is a, uh, you talk about that on your website, that's the microservices API first cloud native and headless approach, but you've, I, I guess, it is Mock an acronym you've created or is that a broader um, group? Maybe you could explain that a bit more to us. Yeah, so so Mach is definitely a broader group, and uh, this is uh, a group of vendors, but also agencies uh, that are leading the headless commerce space. And the goal of the alliance is to raise awareness, to educate, but also to just integrate with each other, to formulate partnerships, to make it easier for the customers to actually adopt headless commerce. Because the biggest problem that we see is that, you know, when you were used to build in monolithic commerce, it was easy. You're just choosing your e-commerce vendor, and that was the only important decision that you're making. Maybe payment processor because of the fees, but that's it. Right now, we're choosing a variety of different vendors. And as I said at the beginning, it's really hard to glue all of this together. And there are new guys, there are new emerging on the market and everyone are changing as well because the market is immature. So for this sort of stuff, I think having something like Mach Alliance, which is trying to standardize this approach, which is trying to uh, integrate with each other is extremely, extremely helpful. At the same time, the market is new and there is a lot of disinformation. Uh, but apart from disinformation, there's just a low awareness about the real benefits of headless commerce. And the goal of Mach Alliance is actually to raise this awareness. So we were, uh, we were not the founders, but we were one of the member of the like founding members. Uh, and I see that Mach Alliance right now is growing with new members every week. And there are new amazing companies joining, which is great, I think, for the ecosystem and uh, for the whole headless commerce world. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to the show. I'm curious, you know, as we've kind of discussed, there's a, a bunch of different parts of choosing your e-commerce stack. Um, you know, there's, there's the platforms like, I guess, like Shopify or Magento, or there's, there's a whole bunch of those. 
Um, there's CMSs, like um, I'm seeing a lot from like Sanity or Contentful, a few of those nowadays, and then payments and then a whole bunch of other tools. How would you kind of, you know, if someone's kind of standing up a, a new e-commerce company and trying to think through like every part of the stack, how would you coach th- that person? What advice would you give in terms of like choosing vendors and putting together an overall stack that, that is kind of makes the most sense for their business? Well, it's, it, it really depends. Of course, like that's the generic answer that any developer would give you. Uh, but joke aside, like you probably have to start with like a three most important decisions, which is like uh, e-commerce platform, CMS, and your front-end uh, provider. And once you have this, I think every, everything else should follow. So for example, if you have a vendor that uh, is meeting your expectations and already has integrations with your stack, you should choose it. Uh, you shouldn't start from a small ones, definitely, because usually you're ending up with a situation when everyone, every vendor is exactly what you were looking for, but integrating all of them and making it work together is, is just a nightmare. This is why it's best to start with the technologies that are accommodating different integrations, like the front end, like uh, the back end, like uh, the e-commerce, like the CMS. And then once you have this, just choose from the ones that are integrated, or if you really can't find anything that is fitting your needs, then just uh, look for some other technologies that are easy to integrate. But that's just a start. And depending on your needs, uh, you could really like end up in dozen of pitches for even the smallest possible vendor. And then honestly, it's very hard to navigate because every agency have their own partners, every vendor have their own partners and will be all, all pushing. And it's very, very hard to actually find uh, an unbiased opinion. And for those things, I really, really, really uh, would suggest to just hire some consultant who can advise you on choosing your stack. I'm curious, like when you think about the future of e-commerce in general, like this is a very broad question, but like where do, where do you see things in general going in e-commerce on, in terms of like tooling, developer tools? Um, and maybe this is a question like outside of your storefront because I do want to hear about your roadmap, but just in general, where do you see this, this all going? So what we already see is that everyone are trying to move into cloud native environments. So like on-prem are really not, Maybe not not a thing anymore because as huge enterprises sometimes just just require this. But we see that in general the customers are starting to prefer the cloud native environment, so they can really like just choose the technologies that they want, choose the APIs, find something that will glue them, and then and then just work. Another thing is uh, I see a very interesting race in the instant shopping. So you probably saw that on Instagram already. Saw that on Instagram already. Uh, and there are also other services that are, that are allowing this. So basically, instant shopping is a way to buy things on the internet without actually browsing any e-commerce. You're doing this sometimes during some drops, sometimes doing some live streams, uh, sometimes by clicking a link on the Instagram, and you're usually immediately ending up on a product page that has a buy now button, and there's like the whole e-commerce. And we are seeing a lot of... Uh, customers actually adapting this, mostly the smaller ones or the ones uh, that are from the retail. But this is this this is, this is is just uh, a thing that I really like, but might not be, you know, the next big thing. Uh, what we also see uh, is that 
users are starting to choose more and more and more granular, granular technologies, which is very interesting because the vendors are usually trying to do exactly the opposite. So they're trying to provide everything. So how I would see this probably in the future, the future e-commerce platforms would be just glues that will be gluing different technologies together and providing some kind of, you know, uh, APIs that are actually allowing you to plug in like different CMS, different OMS, uh, different catalog management tool, et cetera, et cetera. And that would be a very interesting thing actually to, to see. Because right now, the e-commerce is all about making it more personalized. It's all about making it more tied to your needs. It's all about embracing Bezel Breed. And I think this way of solving problems would actually allow this. Because right now, we're kind of like in the middle of having the old way of doing things where your e-commerce platform was actually a glue, but at the same time, it was providing most of the features. So they are still pushing for their own features, uh, for their own stuff, of course, because they want uh, they they want uh, a vendor lock-in. But at the same time, we also see that this is not what customers want. Customers want freedom. Uh, customers want independence. Customers want to choose from different technologies. And I think in the end, as always, customers will win. I'm curious how you think about competition in general. Um, you know, one that particularly comes to mind is, is Next.js when. I, sp I spoke to um, Guillermo from Next.js a while, maybe six months ago. It was a while, but even then they were talking a lot about e-commerce and really leaning into that use case in terms of using Next.js to build e-commerce front ends. So do you see them as competition um, or if not, who do you see as competition and kind of how do you differ? That's a good question. And honestly, like this is something that we're debating a lot in the storefront, really. And I wouldn't see uh, Next.js as a competitor because to me, Next.js commerce is just an e-commerce accelerator to Next.js, which is much, much less than what we provide. And it's also uh, for a much smaller customer that's our ideal customer because what they are providing is basically a very simple front end that has connections to some external services. What we provide is a whole a uh, branch of tools that is covering UI libraries, design systems, deployment, CI, CDs, uh, cloud hosting, the front-end boilerplate itself, of course, SLAs, and much more. So to us, it's, it's, it's more like, you know, just an accelerator. Of course, uh, you know, like there is, there, is, there is always some overlap, and I would say there is an overlap, especially when it comes to like open source adopters that have their small shops or maybe they are selling some goods by on their own and they just want to build their shop but also even in this niche usually if someone is using front-end frameworks they have some preferences so this preference could be Vue.js this preference could be Next.js and I really it, it would be hard for me to imagine someone who is deciding to go with Vue storefront if they are using uh, React or someone who would go with uh, Next.js if they prefer to use Vue.js. But of course, there's, there's always some small overlap. And when talking about who we treat as our competition, well, we try, to, we try to treat the people who are actually treated as our competition by our, by our customers, customers and who are offering more or less the same services. So to name a few, uh, there are companies like Shogun, there are companies like Frontastic, uh, recently acquired by Commerce Tools, there are companies like Deity, 
Uh, all of them provide more or less similar things. Uh, they always have different philosophies, of course. This is why we are all on the market, right? Uh, but in general, there is a new category emerging that is called front-end as a service, which is basically what we are trying to uh, build. But at the same time, the biggest problem of front-end as a service is uh, very low ability to customize it compared to just customize front-end. And our goal is to provide front-end as a service, but at the same time, make it as configurable as a custom front-end. And of course, there are competitors who are going into more strict way. There are competitors who are growing, going into more free way. Uh, we are trying to be in the middle, but still closer to the custom front-end position. I'm curious, within e-commerce, payments is obviously one of the most important uh, parts of the technology stack. And as someone who you know, presumably works with a lot of e-commerce uh, brands and also a lot of developers, I'd be curious for your take on any trends you're seeing within payments um, and what your thoughts are uh, on what does the future look like for e-commerce payments? Mm -hmm. Well, just uh, to give you a short disclaimer, I'm not an expert in terms of payments integrations. Uh, there are some people in our team who definitely I could call, but I'm not one of them. But the one trend I see, uh, and I see this more and more often, is that there's a lot of companies emerging who are trying to be like a one payment provider to fix all. That's the first thing. So instead of having, you know, five, six, seven, or even 10 different payments providers, they're just having one and they are having integration with other payments. So you're essentially making one integration and immediately everything that you have is available on every market. Uh, you have uh, different uh, ways of shipping it sometimes even. Another trend is uh, going a little bit further, and it's not only a API, a, uh, an API for payments, but it's also an API for the whole checkout. So this one-click checkouts, uh, yeah, generally one-click checkouts or headless checkouts, this is how they are called. And what is it? It's basically a service that is focusing only on the checkout. And really, if you think a little, you can just build your shop only with this technology. And we see, for example, Snipcart that is allowing this sort of stuff. There is Bolt, of course, probably one of the most well-known. Uh, there was Fast, uh, which got bankrupt recently. So this is definitely an interesting trend. Uh, but with payments, you know, like it's very complex. So obviously the market right now is trying to standardize it. The market right now trying to build tools uh, that are acting as proxies between different providers. So we don't need to integrate all of them. Uh, and basically to make the integration as seamless as possible. And I asked you before kind of, or I've asked you a couple of questions about the future of different parts of the, the e-commerce stack. Um, now I'm curious to hear about the future of view storefront. So what does the product roadmap look like over the next year or so? And then afterwards we can kind of curious to hear, curious to hear about kind of the five or 10 year vision for what view storefront will look like in the long term. Mm -hmm. Excellent question. And honestly, like there's a lot of things that we are focusing on right now, of course, because it's a new category. If you would be focusing only on one, uh, it will be very hard actually to be competitive in that space. But our biggest focus is launching our SaaS product. So View Storefront was until now mostly self-service. We had our cloud offering. The cloud offering was uh, allowing to do a lot of things 
in a semi-automated way. But our goal in the end is actually to make a fully automated way of uh, running, uh, not only running, uh, but also maintaining your headless commerce storefront. So from the moment of creating, gluing everything to the moment when you're deploying, uh, ending up uh, with analytics, uh, ending up with monitoring and the marketplace so we can uh, build it further. So that's the like the high level goal when we want to be. And of course, we have to start with something. So we are starting uh, with launching our SaaS offering. And I won't disclose what will be there, but I can only disclose that our goal is to launch it until the, the end of this year. And over time, we'll be adding more and more and more tools to actually make a developer's life easier, but also to give some valuable insights for the business. Is there anything you can share about the cloud offering? Maybe just a hint at what it uh, might have, or it's t- totally fine if it's... Uh... Okay, so imagine the situation, because what takes a lot of time right now is setting up a new uh, headless commerce shop. It's always custom. So what we want to provide is we want to provide a very, very similar way to actually create something like this. Uh, we want to allow our customers to basically get a, through a very friendly configurator where in five, 10 minutes, you can click through all your integrations, all the regions, all the locales, uh, all the domains, uh, all the limits as well. And then just deploy the ready to use instances of your storefront, have them already automatically scaled, have monitoring, uh, have all the analytics, etc. All of this in just 10 minutes. So that's the sneak peek, and that's not everything that we are building for this cloud offering. So it will not only be very easy to set up something that recently was taking sometimes thousands of hours to set up, but at the same time, we'll allow to maintain it much easier. Got it. Well, very exciting. And um, Philip, it's been great having you on Pod Rocket. Really appreciate you taking the time, and um, I've really enjoyed learning about View Storefront. So for anyone out there who wants to check it out, it's view, like V-U-E, storefront.io. Um, aside from checking out the website, are there any other resources you, you would uh, recommend folks visit if they want to, to learn more? Or is that the best place to, to explore the product? I think that's the best, play, best place to start if you're a business persona, but business people uh, are reading things in a different way than developers. So if you're a developer, what I would suggest is to start with docs that we store from .io and take it from there. We also have uh, our own profile on Dev2. So if you want to read about the news from Storefront or a lot of articles about actually Vue.js, TypeScript, performance, and also headless commerce, you can also follow us there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Philip. Take care. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.